Welcome back to the CityCast podcast. Today is our climate change series, Resilient Cities, where students interview climate leaders both around the world and here in Hamilton about what the city and residents can do to create a more climate-resilient Hamilton. Today, we'll be speaking with Jill Curley, Tanya Lang, and Heather Galbraith from the city of Calgary about the steps Calgary is taking to combat climate change. We'll let them introduce themselves. My name is Jill Curley. I'm a climate adaptation specialist for the city of Calgary on the climate adaptation team. Good morning. My name is Heather Galbraith and I'm a program lead with Resilience and Infrastructure Calgary focused on program development for natural infrastructure and strategic foresight. My name is Tanya Lang. I'm a strategist with the Water Resources Department and I've been working on our flood resilience program for the last six or so years. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. seems like we have uh, a lot of expertise in the room, so I think this is going to be a great conversation. So we're working with City Lab Hamilton in their Semester in Residence program, and they've connected us with Hamilton Public Works, who are working on their climate resiliency program. They're developing the first strategy for climate resilience for the city. So we're hoping to speak to you more about that today because we know some of the challenges that Calgary faces are very similar to those of Hamilton. And we're interested in learning on what kind of work you've been doing. And also because you do have a head start on your climate resiliency program and adaptation strategies. Some of the similarities, for example, we know that as a province, Alberta is known as an oil and gas giant. So within that environment, how Calgary is transitioning away from carbon or non-renewable energy and what kind of strategies are in place and uh, hits close to home for us here because Hamilton is known as an industrial city. It would be really interesting to see what kind of strategies can take us away from that. And also we've heard of some of the great work Calgary has been doing on its flood resilience program as well, especially after the floods in 2013. And that we'd really be interested in learning more about that as Hamilton also faces a flooding risk from extreme storm events. So with all that said, we'd also really like to learn more about some of the role public engagement has played in developing the climate program in Calgary and how some of these strategies we can then bring here and seek inspiration in Hamilton. I was wondering how the resilient Calgary strategy and the climate resilience strategy work together and what your partnership is like and how the climate resiliency strategy fits into the resilient Calgary strategy. So our focus, I'll speak from the resilient Calgary perspective and our focus on resilience from a broad perspective really began with a realization during our flood recovery that we need to think about disaster preparedness in a broader way because we we realized that not only did it have a significant impact on our physical infrastructure but on our businesses and our mental health in our community as well so we we began to ask ourselves how might we make our city more resilient support our businesses and communities and so we started to research um methodologies and best practices and approaches to city resilience and came across a hundred resilient cities network and applied to that program and then use that method methodology to develop a resilient Calgary strategy, which includes four dimensions of city resilience, leadership and strategy, health and well-being, economy and society and infrastructure and the environment. So embedded within that is adaptive infrastructure to withstand future events, uh, climate change, equity, uh, economic diversification, 
um, digital disparity. Uh, there's a number of aspects that, you know, future focused thinking that are included in that strategy. And knowing that the climate resilience strategy was uh, well under development and they had, um, you know, a, kind of a really good approach in terms of uh, incorporating or reaching out to our entire corporation. We focused on some of the gaps and places in between and, and places of alignment where we needed to really move forward together um, and see some opportunities uh, in partnership. So, for example, I mentioned I'm leading the natural infrastructure pillar, use a co-lead approach. So uh, my co-lead was from the climate resilience team, and we planned and uh, facilitated and worked together um, to define the problem. We were stakeholders and then to identify the outcomes and actions and strategies. And then now we're working together on implementation of that. I would say from the climate strategy piece, um, it was approved by council in 2018. So there was a lot of work done through 2016 and 2017 to put that strategy together. The mitigation part of the plan, so the climate resilience strategy has a mitigation plan and an adaptation action plan. The mitigation part had already been well built out in earlier, kind of a late 2000s. Um, so there'd been some good momentum at the city of Calgary with sort of the energy efficiency and um, energy use reduction. It was the, really the adaptation piece um, that was quite new to the city. And so there was um, quite a, a cross-corporate effort of um, aligning, kind of building perspectives, um, building that baseline understanding of what does climate adaptation mean and what does it look like for a city like Calgary. Uh, and so that was kind of where the climate adaptation plan came from. It draws, leans heavily on other work that was underway at the city, and then it goes further in some different places. So for example, there's a large portion around um, water, water planning for stormwater, uh, for droughts, um, long-term water supply, and for flood. Uh, so those pieces had been well built out um, through some of the flood mitigation planning and through some of the earlier work that was underway. Um, and then we had the opportunity to go a bit further in the climate plan um, to kind of support and move to the next level and what it's going to look like um, in the next um, version of the plan, where we need to go um, to continue moving forward. So the, the climate plan was finalized a year before the resilience plan. Um, and Tanya uh, predates all of our plans with the flood work. Um, <laughs> so we have a lot of um, a lot of different arms, I would say, and a lot of like kind of really separate niches. Um, we do work together on, on, on some initiatives. So what were the driving factors that inspired each of your programs? I know a big one is the 2013 Calgary flood, as you mentioned. Jill, if you could talk about sort of what the societal context and the context within Calgary was to drive some of the most important aspects of your, of your plan. With that, it's become, you know, all, all major municipalities now realize that climate change will impact their citizens, their residents, and uh, we need to have a plan in place to um, reduce the, the impact of those climate changes on our, on our city and on our, the people that live in Calgary. Um, so that was a, 
a big driver. Uh, there was a regulatory driver with the city charger um, that directed the city of Calgary and the city of Edmonton to develop climate plans and present those to the provincial government um, when the past provincial government, um, the NDP government was in power. So there was a bit of a regulatory push. Um, and then I think there's, uh, you know, simply it's, it's the right thing to be doing. And uh, Calgary, you know, being an, an energy focused center has um, perhaps not been as forthright as some other municipalities, but there's certainly an understanding that uh, we need to prepare and we need to diversify. We're also wondering what Calgary's main sustainability targets are. We know from some of our research that you want to um, reduce emissions by 80% by 2050. Are there any other important targets that Calgary is working towards? From the climate adaptation side, we're developing our kind of indicators and metrics right now. It's not so easy to set a target for adaptation. Greenhouse gases are reasonably easy to measure and reasonably easy to quantify a reduction target. But we haven't yet got to where we have an adaptation target or set of targets, but we've been working over this past year um, to really figure out what our indicators of progress are in the adaptation world. And uh, we're doing a lot of kind of best practice research, looking at what's, um, ICLE is a really good resource, what they've developed. And uh, there are some other federal projects underway that are looking at um, sort of national level indicators and metrics, but also metrics that can be used at a, a municipal or a provincial level. Could it be possibly like number of buildings that have met a particular standard or perhaps number of dams that have been built. Yeah, I guess it is difficult to figure out a metric for mitigation. Like adverse events haven't happened. I guess it is kind of difficult. Yeah, our first pass at adaptation indicators has um, about 50 different indicators that we're trying to get down to somewhere in about the range of 10 or so major rolled up indicators. So some of those, um, you know, it's not just number of, of dams, but it might be like what percentage of the city is protected from what level of flooding um, and how is that changing as different flood projects are implemented. Um, and you know, with, with buildings, we're tracking how many buildings are LEED certified, um, how many corporate buildings, things like that that start to get at um, a bit of an idea of how are we, how are we doing better. Um, there are programs in our um, climate mitigation group where they're building out a citywide building energy performance manager tool. So they're actually looking for um, private buildings to report on their building energy use. Uh, so that can encourage improved energy use and improved energy efficiency as there's a better understanding of who's doing what in Calgary, what their building type is, and what kind of systems they're using. So all of those are kind of different tools that are being used to sort of measure progress. In terms of, I think you asked about sustainability targets and like other environmental sustainability targets, we certainly have with water, you know, um, water consumption targets or river water quality um, targets that we aim to maintain and we, we can't do that alone, it has to be with citizens. With waste and recycling, we have a I think it's 80% uh, waste reduction target by this year, I think it is. There's many more environmental ones and then and social and economic ones that Heather might um, have some more familiarity with. Thanks, Tanya. Yeah, we struggled with this a little bit uh, as we were developing our recently Calgary strategy and are now in terms of how are we measuring 
our work in this field because we do have a number of measures already at the city of Calgary and through um, you know, the development of our, our, our hundred year strategy, Imagine Calgary, and some departmental targets that Tanya mentioned. We didn't necessarily want to add more. What we're doing right now is trying to understand more through a couple of our projects with a natural infrastructure valuation to understand the value of infrastructure services, with um, creating a resilience dividend tool to be able to measure the lift for, for example, job creation or carbon capture or kind of support for equity-seeking communities for different projects or infrastructure investments and creating tools to understand how we might measure that the value or contribution for certain efforts. Right now, we do have a well-established performance management system at the City of Calgary, where we are looking at, you know, not only kind of specific targets, but community outcomes for all of the work we're doing. I was wondering if any of you could um, enlighten us on some of Calgary's most important sustainability efforts and concerns at the moment. So we have a couple that we know about, we know that solar is a really big one in Calgary. Calgary gets a lot of sun and uh, you have a number of facilities that are run or in, in part by solar. So if you could touch on how that was implemented or like the success of solar projects. We have an update from facilities management on a lot of our solar projects. So to date, the city has an installed capacity of seven megawatts, enough to power 1120 Calgary homes. In 2019, the city was generating 3,165 megawatts per year. This translates to approximately $450,000 in electricity cost savings and 1,800 tons reduction in greenhouse gas emissions for that year. Uh, we've got solar panels installed at many facilities, including Whitehorn, Bearspaw, Manchester, um, Southland Leisure Centre, numerous fire stations, and Sarsi bus barns. Solar has been seen as a really... Um, positive and I would say kind of easy win type project at the city of Calgary. I, I was just curious about what inspired people to go solar essentially and, and away from fossil fuels. Was it just the most viable option? It's It's been a very viable option and the cost return on it makes sense like as an additional electricity source. This is kind of like old news but Calgary has also been using wind power Mm -hmm. years and years and years like our our sea trains have been running on wind for over 15 years and we have a contract with a provider to I think we're 100 percent green electricity mostly from wind for all of our municipal facilities and the reason for that is that Calgary and well southern Alberta is also very windy <laughs> and we have uh, we have a lot of wind farms in Alberta so I just thought I'd mention that. It's not like top of mind these days because it's been going on for a long time, but it's it's pretty cool that we've been doing that for 15, 17 years. 100% renewable? Wow. All, for all city facilities? For electricity. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, previously, you mentioned um, getting commercial buildings uh, on board with reducing emissions. Um, so I know that there is a sustainable buildings partnership program that exists to, I believe, reduce emissions that are released by government buildings. But how exactly do you incentivize commercial buildings? We don't at this time offer incentives um, through the municipality for private building 
energy emissions reduction. The building performance management tool is meant first as a sort of education and collaboration step. So we have a um, sort of a, a concierge um, that his role is to bring buildings and building operators on boards, um, assist them with their energy reporting um, with the idea that the great thing about energy use reduction is that there's cost savings associated with down the road. So if you have a long-term building operator and they see they can get you know, 30, 40% payback in a period of 10 years, they start to become that much more willing to reduce their energy use through, you know, as they're updating or upgrading their HVAC systems. Um, there are lots of provincial and federal programs that have been in place for, for private building operators, and our program helps to link operators and programs, grants or loan programs uh, to kind of just ease that uptake. So at this time, we don't have an incentive program per se, but it's more on the, the education and outreach and sort of building bridges type of program. All corporate city buildings um, that are, are, are built and renovated now uh, do use the sustainable building policy to guide their development. So that helps with that overall sustainability and energy use reduction. Um, so that's kind of from the corporate front. We have more on the level of education and outreach than on incentive programs. So what other initiatives do you have in place to help reduce emissions for residents or also companies? Um, so we work with Empower Me. Um, they're a provider of information and some low-cost tools to assist vulnerable Calgarians, new Calgarians, new immigrants, um, and urban Indigenous people to implement some energy sustainability practices within their homes. So they actually... Before the pandemic hit, it's shifted our strategy, but um, there were advisors who spoke 18 or 20 different languages. Um, so there were kind of people from within these different communities um, that delivered these Empower Me programs. And they had things like energy efficient light bulbs, thermostats, um, some of the water reducing faucets, like shower heads, things like that were kind of a, a package delivered with information to some of these communities. Um, so that was is one program that the city has funded for um, a few years now that's being run by, by Empower Me. And that one's um, reached quite a number of Calgarians we haven't tracked, is there actual energy use reduction from those homes, but we've, we've tracked how many people, how many families or households have been incorporated in that program. We've got a few other residential programs underway, but things that are in quite early works, Alberta Ecotrust has uh, received quite a, a big grant from the LC3 program uh, that follows on Toronto's atmospheric funds kind of model, and that would be kind of an energy loan and payback scenario that's uh, just getting going sort of this year and into next year on how that might roll out for energy projects in private businesses uh, and institutions in the city. Heather, are there any notable projects that your team has also been working on and perhaps regards to emissions reduction as it relates to infrastructure? Well, um, I mean, we do have a climate team to, um, to lead that Kind of more specific work. Our resilient Calgary strategy is based on um, four pillars and a shared theme. So we have a pillar related to economic diversification and innovation. 
one related to inclusive futures with our equity seeking communities, another one based on natural infrastructure to understand the value of our natural assets. And we are working very closely with the climate team and Jill in particular on that to, to understand the value of our natural assets. And then also working with our asset management team to update our asset management policy and infrastructure status reports so that we can report on our natural asset inventory mm -hmm. as part of that, because that has been uh, a gap or an absence within that corporate um, asset management program. And then we are, we do have a fourth pillar in our strategy relating to infrastructure because we're taking a portfolio approach to infrastructure investments through an infrastructure Calgary group. And they do, you know, they have included um, a resilience and uh, a climate lens in the prioritization um, and started that in, at a very high level during our last four-year business planning and budget cycle. It's really our intent to um, embed consideration of, of climate and equity and economic diversification um, with our budgeting decisions and our infrastructure investment decisions as much as possible. And then to create a harder working and adaptive infrastructure so that we can meet the changing needs of our community and of our climate. So those are some things that are working at a kind of a more corporate level. And then we have a shared theme called a future focused Calgary and that's about developing better decision making tools so that we can understand the complex changes that are taking place in society and address the trade offs between some of our decisions so that we can have the greatest return on investment for resilience so we're creating a, a resilience dividend tool so that we can inform our decisions and also a strategic foresight program so that we can understand some of the complex changes that are occurring. So when you mentioned you're creating a strategy, you're trying to figure out how best to inform your decisions. It sounds like that engagement, public engagement is a very important piece of it. So I was wondering if each of you could speak to how you engage the public in the decision-making process. I could speak to how we developed our strategy. I noted in the importance of partnerships. So we started our strategy development with an understanding of that, the system of city resilience and what's included in that, and then launched with an agenda setting workshop that had a, over 100 participants from a broad spectrum of stakeholders, including businesses, community leaders, equity seeking communities, youth, seniors, city decision makers. And we really wanted to understand from their perspectives, you know, what are our top stresses and shocks and weaknesses and strengths as a community so that we could honor their kind of understanding and knowledge of what they're seeing in their, in their lives, in their, in their communities and in their work. And then we did also balance that with research and data gathering so that we could you know, really uh, ground truth, you know, what is our common understanding of our current state and future risks and key challenges and opportunities. And then we develop some kind of high level understanding of where we might want to focus. What are those um, pieces of work that perhaps some of the other teams are more challenged to address on their own, you know, that are more cross-disciplinary. And then we develop these collaboration circles uh, to further refine our problem definition and did that with co-leads. So, you know, I worked with the climate team. We had our economic lead worked with Calgary Economic Development, our Inclusive Futures lead. Their co-lead was the United Way. So it was really a matter of partnering 
to identify what the recommended outcomes, strategies, and actions are. And then our implementation plan includes a number of actions which we lead personally and that our partners lead as part of that. Um, speak to a little bit of some of the um, public drivers of the climate program. Not so much in the strategy development, but we currently have a Calgary climate panel that's got um, about 25 members from the community and it's businesses, Calgary Chamber of Commerce, we've got a council rep on it, uh, youth and indigenous um, development industry and manufacturing, as well as some nonprofits. It's quite a diverse group and their intent is to provide sort of that outside look at our climate program, at what the city is doing, uh, what what they see as directions to go in, um, projects that are you know, more critical or less critical to be working on. Uh, and so with that, we have about six separate working groups that have come out of that climate panel. And they are everything from um, an energy and utility working group. There's the, the building performance management working group is one of them. Um, there's a community education working group. And so that's got multiple school boards, nonprofits, kind of environmental education providers and the city, all these different working groups have been really critical to helping us drive some of the external facing programs that we run. You know, it's a bit of a different style of public engagement, but it's been a, a really collaborative way to uh, to move forward. And so now we're moving into toward progress with, with encouraging the panel members to embed climate within their own organizations as well, um, and as well as help to deliver or promote these City of Calgary sponsored or um, co-led programs. I know Tanya has, again, a different style of public engagement that's been done in various levels of the flood resilience planning and implementation. Sure, I'd, I'd like to share some of that. Definitely various levels from um, developing the plan. We did go out to the community um, in different ways. Uh, when we were studying what is the best approach for Calgary, so looking at different combinations of flood mitigation measures we could take, and we wanted to get a pulse check from communities, so flood-affected communities in particular, but non-flood-affected communities, in terms of what kind of investments should we be making in, in flood mitigation. So we took uh, a number of scenarios out to public through things like workshops, open houses, and we also had an advisory um, group where we asked people to apply and kind of represent their, their community. Um, so businesses, residents, uh, people on both rivers, we have two rivers in Calgary uh, with different issues and we ran our scenarios by those folks and got their feedback on what they liked and didn't like about uh, the direction we wanted to take so that was really high level and then once we um, came to our flood plan which ended up of uh, flood mitigation uh, measures once we started getting into the projects that's when things get really interesting because uh, engage with folks about projects that are actually going to affect their community. So in, in those instances, for example, we have one uh, flood barrier that is on public property and it's it's near downtown. It's, it's just north of downtown. And we had proposed that be a low height barrier to kind of deal with smaller floods and a large upstream reservoir to be built. And 
in speaking with the citizens, they came back and said, we want to be protected to larger floods now. So they want a, a larger, longer barrier. Um, and in in having those discussions, and you know, we, we uh, of course do a cost benefit analysis, and yes, it's still feasible for us to do a larger. So we ended up with that engagement, designing a, a larger barrier. So that's what's going to be built in that area. And that was okay with the citizens because it wasn't in their backyards. So I'll give you another example of engagement of a barrier that we're proposing that is literally in people's backyards. And then you have rent type of engagement because that's people's private property. So they have opinions about having a, a flood barrier in, in their yards. So we've been working very differently with those riverfront property owners and having lots of one-on-ones um, to talk about the design and, and what that could look like and how we can address their concerns. Um, and as well as talking with the, the rest of the community and through another community kind of advisory group on that one. And some of the things that they have said, you know, beyond their concerns on their own property is um, concerns about wildlife and loss of trees um, if this barrier was to be built. And um, so as a result of, of hearing from them, we've, we're doing a wildlife survey and, and looking to make sure that any tree that gets uh, removed, if this design goes ahead, would be replaced by another, at least one other tree. So oh, yeah, I, from the high yeah. level to do you like these plans to like, okay, this is happening in your backyard and, and that's a really different engagement approach. Right. So the closer it is to home, the more um, engagement there has to be. How do you ensure that everybody's on, on board? That's a really good question. And that's something that we're working very hard uh, with the community on. Uh, one thing that we've ended up doing is init our initial design, like one of the preliminary designs for that one in the backyard, was a barrier that went across all of these 110 properties. And now um, we we determined that we don't need one. We, we just need to kind of plug the low spots. So it's not quite as intrusive. So we worked with the community to refine that design to make it the most efficient to make it. But it is a long process. And yeah, it takes time. And flooding is an emotional issue. Many of these people were flooded in 2013. It's a trauma and... And some of them have done their own flood mitigation. So they say, well, I don't know, but it's, it's protection for the rest of the community, not just the um, riverfront owners. So, yeah, a, a lot of conversations going on there and, and difficult mm -hmm. conversations. Thanks for joining us on CityCast. We'd like to thank Heather, Tanya, and Jill from the City of Calgary for sharing with us their expertise. Next episode, we'll be speaking more with Tanya Lang about her work in flood resilience in Calgary. Catch you then.